Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who gather each week to be an inquiry and dialogue on living the spiritual life. We're all on the spiritual path, growing in our understanding of ourselves and others, and moving from being complainers to being empowered to simply being. We know that we can't change the world unless we change ourselves. Welcome to the forum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spiritual Forum. Today's episode is a little different. This is actually a pre-recorded webinar that I did with animal communicator Teresa Wagner through a group called Northern Vegans. And at the end of this episode, you'll hear that um, there was a, a forum where people were able to ask questions. So it's going to go a little longer than usual, but there's so much richness in the Q&A part, so I just wanted to include that in this episode. So I'm just going to kind of uh, turn it over now to the recorded webinar where I introduced Teresa, and I think you're going to find her a fascinating guest who is living spiritually in such a unique way. Okay, now I want to introduce Teresa Wagner. Teresa has loved and communicated with animals all her life. She has had a grief counseling and uh, animal communication practice for over 30 years and has authored the audiobook Legacies of Love, A Gentle Guide to Healing from the Loss of Your Animal Loved One. She has a master's degree in counseling psychology and founded the Animal Loss and Grief Support Institute, which offers classes and certification in pet loss grief counseling. She also facilitated sacred swim trips to swim and communicate with humpback whales for 19 years. Being with and help, helping animals and the people who love them provide the core meeting, guidance, joy, and purpose in her life. You can see Teresa's work at animalsinourhearts.com. And on that website, there's also a link to her pet loss grief counseling certification website, or you can go directly there with pet loss grief counseling certification.com. There's fabulous information on their websites, everything you need to know about Teresa and all the stuff that she's done, the, her uh, teachings or audiobooks, and everything about um, about animal communication. So I invite you to check out those websites. So hello, Teresa. So glad that you're with us today on Northern Vegans event. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you um, came to be an animal communicator? Of course, and thank you for having me, Carol, and also Carrie from Northern Vegans. Um, I was delighted uh, with the invitation and I'm happy to be here. And I, I think, um, when you ask how I came to be an animal communicator, you know, everybody in this field comes from their own unique place, their, their own unique life. And for me, as with some other communicators, I could always talk with animals. Um, it's just when I was a little kid, we had a cat and I just had conversations with the cat. And I think for until a certain time, my parents thought it was just some cutesy little thing that I think they thought I was making it up. Um, and I was too young to even process that. I just knew I could talk with her. And then when I was about, I, I don't know the exact age, somewhere between like five and seven, I was with my parents at a local park, a very beautiful park that had a pond. And people would go there to feed the ducks. Of course, we fed them all the wrong things, white bread. 
which we know now <laughs> not to do. But I, I do remember we'd save our stale bread and feed them to the ducks. Terrible thing to feed ducks. But anyway, at that day, the, the ducks would come right up to where people could gather. And this one duck, I can still see it, came up to me. And he was opening his beautiful little beak, but he couldn't quack. And he was reaching out and saying, help me, please help me. I'm hurting, please, please help me. And that can happen. And those of you who already do communicate with animals might know animals tend to come to you. If, if they can sense you can hear them and talk with them, they'll come to you sometimes just to joke around and talk and sometimes when they're in distress. So this poor little duck was in such distress. Well, I was really young and I could hear and sense the, the distress and pain but I was too young to process it. I was too young to say, mommy, let's call the SPCA or something. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I just started crying hysterically. I didn't have the wherewithal that I hope we'll talk about later today of how we can deal with the pain of other animals. But I didn't have that as a little tiny kid. And so I went screaming and sobbing to my parents, please, please, we, we have to help this duck. Can we take the duck to the vet? And first they were like, no, 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 that's ridiculous. And I wouldn't let it go because I loved this duck. And my parents who are not the most um, animal oriented or kind people got very upset and started to slap me and scream at me and drag me home and blah, blah, blah. So I made a decision that day, which was unconscious at the time, I'm never going to tell anybody again I can hear what the animals are saying because it's unsafe for me to do that. And that's what I did. Now, I continued hearing animals and talking to animals, little squirrels in the yard and um, the occasional little wild animal that I might see and certainly the cat in my life and my friend's animals, but I never told anybody, not even my best friend, because you know, there was this deep belief that was created from that day that it is not safe to tell anybody. And then I grew up and you know, went to college, started a career, and I wasn't going to tell anybody I could talk to animals. And then you know, as my life progressed and I dealt with a, a lot of very serious abuse from my childhood, I also began to believe oh, maybe that's why I can hear animals because my cat was such an incredible comfort to me when I was being abused in my home, my parents' home. So I thought, oh, well, I'm just weird. You know, that's just one of these, it's a lovely silver lining from what I went through as a child. That's, that's what it is. That's why I can do it. Because, you know, at that time, there weren't any books on this field or um it was, I just thought it was something that was an anomaly with me. And then when I was 35 in 1988, I saw my first whale. And it was an incredible life-changing experience for me. And that's another whole story in itself, but it was so life-changing. I left there knowing I can't not talk about this anymore. This is too important. And I know, I just kind of knew we can all do this and I can't hold it inside anymore. And um, that was an interesting experience because I was still working for a Fortune 500 company at the time. And those, my peers there weren't the people I was going to share this with. <laughs> but 
as the universe tends to support us as it's time for a major life change that happened um, within two years of that wonderful experience. I moved to California. I met my mentor, Dr. Jerry Ryan, and that opened up everything for me. That's, that's when I started doing it professionally because Jerry, like me, was trained as a therapist um, and she was also a professional animal communicator. So it was like, oh my God, you know, I'm not just some weird person who can do this. This isn't just a subset of my abuse. This is real and it's sacred and it's beautiful. So I learned a lot from Jerry and she literally pushed me to start a practice. So that's kind of how it started. I mean, to me, it sounds like it's a, a spiritual gift, you know, that you have a special spiritual gift. We all have this gift, but there's something that you have profoundly within you. Can you tell me, are you actually hearing a voice or is it just a feeling or a, a sense, uh, intuitive message that you get from animals? Um, it, well, I'd like to respond to the first thing you said first about a spiritual gift. Um, that's always so kind when somebody says to me or other communicators, oh, you have this great gift. Thank you for using it. And, and that's certainly not an offensive thing to hear. But I really like to frame telepathic animal communication um, for those of us who um, are fluent in it. And I like the word fluent, um, mm -hmm. uh, even language, more than skilled, yeah. though it does take some skill development. I don't see it as a gift. Mm -hmm. Uh, though I'm very grateful that I have been able to do it all these years with so many people, that's a gift to me. But mm -hmm. being able to do it, to me, doesn't feel like a gift. It's a natural ability that we all have, that we mm -hmm. all have. Now, saying that, um, you know, we could also, you know, all take tennis lessons, but we aren't all going to be Serena Williams. <laughs> I'm not very athletic myself, so <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be. So, you know, even with things we can all learn, there, are, there might be, I'd like to say there may be some of us who came to this lifetime predisposed to learning. Right. It. Yeah. Um, so that, that much I would say about myself and probably some other communicators too. But your question about do I hear things or how does that work? Um, it depends. Um, and when I teach animal communication, I'm always very careful. And I, I hope everybody will hear this as you practice on your own um, continually as you're doing now or later. Um, telepathic information comes in lots of different ways. Um, I do hear a lot of words. And my own theory is that when animals are willing to speak to us with words, that that's because they're so kind and so intelligent that they learn our language so they can talk with us. We're learning telepathy and they're learning our words. Mm -hmm. um, but the heart of telepathy, and this really goes to your question, isn't really words. Like we humans are helped by words. And, and I'm, I love our languages. I mean, the, the language of speech, the language of writing is just, you know, so powerful to help us communicate with each other as humans. So I'm not against words, but in telepathy, what we've learned over time is that the real heart of telepathy is not words, but it's feelings and the, and images slash energy. Um, I have so many memories of being with the whales, for instance, where I'll be in the water with the whale 
and we're having a conversation and they'll tell me like a whole story. And if we timed it, it'd be like a minute long at the most. And then when I go to tell other people about it, it takes me 10 or 15 minutes to explain it. That's the telepathy is so elegant. And, you know, one, one little example of this um, to try to explain it is that as humans, if we walk into a room and one of our loved ones is sitting there without a word being spoken, and even without looking at their body language or analyzing their body language, we might just be able to feel the energy that, wow, they're really happy mm-hmm. or um, they're really upset or uptight about something without a word being said. Right. Part of that is telepathy. It, it's um, being able to open ourselves um, to our intuition. In fact, telepathy is really just an extension of intuition that's used very specifically to communicate. So naturally we have this, you know, I, I, I like that you corrected me that this isn't a spiritual gift. This is natural. This is who we naturally exactly. are. Exactly. And it's, it's the blocks. Like we have blocks in our heart or we have, we don't trust our intuition. And so mm-hmm. those are the blocks exactly. that keep us from being able to communicate with people and animals. Yeah. And so really it's yeah. just a matter of being an open open yeah, heart. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I, I really believe that for those who want to communicate, and I know people who desperately want to learn to do it and they think, oh, well, can I learn? Well, yes, we can all learn. And sometimes people ask me, well, what do I need to learn? Well, if a relationship with animals holds the energy of empathy and respect and love And if we are willing to see ourselves as soul peers with the animals, knowing that physically we're very different, but that at the level of the soul, we're the same. If we believe that and have those other feelings toward them, those other qualities, it makes it so much easier. There is some skill involved in in learning. And and I will say for people who want to learn it, you know, read the books, find a great teacher and make sure that when you're learning through a teacher or in some or a mentor or whatever, you find a way where you can practice with feedback. Because like most skills, you know, practice is needed and feedback's needed to develop the skill. Well, so let's kind of get into that a little bit. Like what are some of the reasons that somebody would come to you uh, to start with? And then can you kind of lay out the process of what you do? Then with somebody I mean, comes in to a you session with, in a session. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Um, well, um, some of that depends on why they're coming and what I do ask people to do, which, you know, I, I'm showing my age now, but mm-hmm. in the old days, everything was, you know, by telephone and then it went to fax and then email. And now we have automated things on our websites for people to schedule. Um Anyway, even when somebody schedules a session, they're asked on one of the lines on my website to just give a little brief summary about what kind of session they want. So I have a heads up. Is there a behavioral problem with an animal? Is there animal ill? Is there animal in hospice nearing death? Has their animal already died and they want to connect with them? Or, you know, other things. Is it food issues or they're going on vacation or they're moving house or whatever? Um, And so then they're invited to send me their specific questions or invited to send pictures of the animals, which I don't need to do a session, but it, um, it saves time uh, when we're talking. And so 
as an animal communicator in a professional role, which is a little a little different, but has a lot of similarities to when we talk to our own animals. Um, but in my role, it's very important to me that I have clarity about what my client wants, um, because this goes to an ethical issue about animal communication. Um, the the old way of doing psychic work is not having, it's not like having an interactive conversation. The old way of doing psychic work, if an animal's involved, is to read the energy of the animal, interpret it, and then give that interpretation to the client. I would, I do not recommend that at all. Um, in this work, it's so important when we're helping another person, an animal, to be the translator between the two of them and be very clear what the human wants to ask and tell the animal, what the animal wants to ask and tell the person, and to be as accurate as possible. It's If this were psychotherapy and couples counseling, it would be the same role, um, except here we're, we're doing translating. And of course, I try to support also. So, so you're, you're the translator, as you're saying. Yes. You're, you, okay, got it. For the human and for the animal, for the animal and, and right. back and forth. Like mediator. <laughs> and, and of course, at times, um, as a therapist would, though this is not therapy, but a similar dynamic is sometimes, first of all, asking questions for clarity. Um, so I'm really sure what, like, for instance, if the animal is ill and the person has said to me at the beginning of the session or what they sent ahead of time, I really want to know if they're ready to leave or if they're nearing ready to leave. Mm. Um, and if so, you know, I want to know their preferences about euthanasia or not having euthanasia, those kinds of very common, important issues that come up. And so let's say I start talking to the animal um, and I say, you know, I always briefly introduce myself very briefly and say, you know, your person or your mother, if that's what they call themselves or daddy or whatever, um, ask me to be here to help the two of you have a conversation. That's the key opening. And then I'll say, she's very concerned about how you're feeling. So could you describe that to me? And if the animal says to me, I'm so tired, I'm just so tired. And if that's all they say, my job as the communicator is to find out more because tired could mean I'm ready to take a nap. Mm -hmm. And on the other end, it could mean I'm ready to leave. So that's what, I, so then I go back and say, well, tell me more about what your being tired is all about. Do you feel tired? Like you're, you need a nap or do you feel tired in a deeper way? And then I listen for what the animal says. And sometimes they'll say, oh, I just, I'm more tired than I used to be. Or they might say, um, I'm so tired down to my soul. I don't think I can stay in my body much longer. So that's, this might sound very mundane, but it's a key ethic in doing this work, whether it's for a client or our own animals, is to ask those, what I call them, empathic inquiries. It's not grilling the animal, of course, but it's just asking more so we can find out how they're really feeling and go from here. So that's just one example. That's amazing. 
I I know I just went through that recently myself with a dog who I'm passed. Sorry. And I just I'm thinking how we agonize over that decision and mm-hmm. uh, bless our dog's heart. He he decided he he passed on our bed in the middle of the night and oh. he made it very easy for us. But I think that having somebody like you to be that translator mm-hmm. could help people so much with that mm-hmm. very difficult time in their life when they just don't know how, how long and what the pet, what, what their animal wants. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and you can do this, you do this without, you don't need a photograph. You don't need to be there physically. No, you no. So like I would call you or I would, I would put an uh, input, some requests on your email, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. on your website, explain what that is. And we make an arrangement and then you would be able to do this work remotely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you, you bring up a good point when you said briefly, you don't have to be there physically. That's what's really important to remember about telepathic animal communication is that it is nothing whatsoever to do with the physical body. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can be asking questions about the body, of course, but like people will often say to me, oh, well, my animal's not in my room. Should I go get them? And I always say, well, if you find that helpful, of course, go get them. But they don't have to be with you to have the communication. So it has, in the early years of my practice, um, I did a fair amount of local in-person consultations. Um and I actually stopped doing them because it was very, very, very time consuming because you're going into a stranger's house. The animals like physically have to get used to you. The people are kind of getting used to you and it takes a lot of time for that settling in. Um, and then the, the people tend to get obsessed looking at the animal's body to see how they're responding to the conversation. Um, now, and I don't do it anymore just because it, I don't have the time to do that. But that, that brings up another point. I. I about your question regarding how it works. If you're communicating with your own animal or a client's animal, don't even worry about how the animal is physically responding. Mm. Sometimes clients will tell me, oh, they kind of act like really bored while you and I are talking. And then Mm. as soon as you start talking to them, they look up or they look peaceful, or they, like they, they do something different. And I like when that happens because then it, I know it's helping my client feel this is real. However, sometimes they don't do anything. So um, be very careful, you know, when, when any of you may start doing this um, or have a professional communicator do it for you, don't worry about what happens physically. If something fun happens physically, great. Yeah. Um, but just like us, when we're talking to somebody, we don't all have these major physical responses. Um, so anyway, it's not physical. It's all, it's communication with the soul. Yeah. Um, and the personality very often, of course, comes through in that conversation. Um, and that's very fun for me. I love to hear the personalities of the animals. Um, but one thing to remember too, is that because we're connecting with the soul of the animal, it's important to remember that, in my experience, a soul is a soul is a soul. And it doesn't matter what body that soul's in, whether it's a human or a horse or an elephant or an earthworm. 
or an insect. It, it doesn't matter what body the soul's in when we communicate. In fact, their, the natural history and the um, behaviors and so the culture of a specific species is extremely important if you're a trainer. It's extremely important if you have a dog and you need to train your dog to do certain things. But when we're speaking telepathically, none of that is important. I don't mean it's not important in your relationship, but it's a separate kind of thing. Um, and so when we look at it that way, it also means that when a soul leaves a body and our animal is on the other side or whatever terms we use for where we go after life on earth, um, it's just as easy to talk to animals on the other side as it is here. There's no difference. Now, I, I'm well aware that in the psychic field, um, the term medium, which many people are probably aware of, are people who speak to souls on the other side. And that's fine. But since the beginning of my practice, I really, I don't have a whole lot of interest in, I don't think that there's a whole lot of need. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think there's any need to have all sorts of different names for various things we do. When we're talking about animal communication, it's communicating with the soul of an animal on earth or the soul of someone who was an animal on the earth. Mm. And the communication is the same. It's no different. It's no different. I mean, sometimes people sometimes ask me, oh gosh, well, when they go to the other side or do they know everything now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And that's a good question. Um, and I, it, it really depends. It, you know, every soul is different, but what I have found is that in my experience, they tend to have certainly a bit more awareness about the big picture of things than perhaps they did when they were on earth. But I haven't seen any evidence that they're suddenly all knowing and, you know, one with the Buddha or whatever. Uh, um, it, it depends. It depends. Do you have, do you get any sense about what the, that other side is for the animals? Um, yes. That, that is a, that's a, a blessing to me and a gift to have been shown that so many times. And um, a couple of things I can share about that. And, and I wanna just preface it. I have a whole class, a four hour class called the animal's perspectives of death, the other side and coming back. And what I say at the beginning of that class, I, I need to say now, very important to me ethically. And that is that what I'll share is what I've been exposed to. So that the stories the animals have told me over the years certainly have influenced my beliefs. So what? So as I give you that answer, know that that's built upon stories animals have told me, but I would never label it as an ultimate truth mm -hmm. or the final only truth. It's just based on what they've told me. And that has influenced my beliefs. And one, and I hope this might help some people listening. One thing I learned pretty quickly is that in heaven, in the spirit world, whatever you might call it, there's no pain. There's no angst. There's no emotional pain. There's certainly no physical pain because there's no physical body. Um, but And it's not 
Well, I'll never forget some time ago, um, people often ask their animal, what's it like for you there? You know, what's mm-hmm. it like overall? What's it like for you? And um, I'll never forget, this person said, is it peaceful? And the dog said, oh yeah, mommy, it's really peaceful, but it's not like we sit around in clouds and play harps and don't do anything. <laughs> Although there could be some animal doing that, you know, who knows? But um, the energy that they show me is such beautiful peace and a, a complete lack of stress or pain or suffering. And yet it's not passive. Like the dog said, we aren't sitting around in a cloud playing harps. Mm-hmm. Um, no, who knows? Someday I might hear from a dog who's playing a harp <laughs> on a cloud. <laughs> and I really mean that because every story is different. But that lack of suffering or pain, it is so incredible to me. Um, and the other thing I want to say too, that they've shown me is that well, two things. One, even when there's been a really traumatic death, like if an animal died from a predator mm-hmm. or a vehicular accident or um something was going on with an illness that at the end was very traumatic and dramatic. And, you know, of course, has the person traumatized. What they've shown me time and time again is that when the soul leaves the body, even in those very difficult situations, there is an immediate, immediate cessation of the trauma. Immediate. And what I think is just as wonderful is there doesn't seem to be any PTSD on the other side. Mm. (laughs) None. I mean, Mm -hmm. when we have a trauma here, animal or human, as we know, it can take decades to work on that healing. I can speak for that personally. Um, You know, whether our healing is medical and Western or medical and holistic or psychological, traditional psychological help or holistic help, doesn't matter healing from trauma is messy and takes a lot of intention and work and often a lot of time. Apparently, when we leave our bodies, it's not like that. And what's been explained to me many times is that it's not that it's ignored. It's not like, oh, it's over and we forget it. It's always a part of the history of the soul. Mm -hmm. But there's this, and I'm hoping many of you can relate to this, you know, when we're healing some of our own trauma here on earth, there's this place we sometimes get to where the pieces kind of fall together. And it's not like the trauma never happened to us, but we can see it in the context of our history. And we can see that the healing feels complete enough that we can move on, that we can, I I hesitate to use that phrase, but it's easily understood, I think. You know, that that moment or those moments of, I think I'm past this, the the learning from it is Mm -hmm. now, that's probably a better way to describe this when they show me that they, the learning from the trauma, the, the wisdom from the trauma starts to just, integrate so easily that can take us like years to do here 
that mm-hmm. happens not instantaneously there. Um, they've actually showed me working with teachers, working with healers, sometimes working in groups with others. So it's not like it doesn't take any time, but there's no angst mm-hmm. like we have. Mm-hmm. There's no period of, oh my God, I have to still cry, right? You know, it, it's just the healing is very conscious and not immediate, but it's the healing's not painful. It's just yeah. not painful. I think that's so interesting. And that must put so many people's angst to rest that they have about their mm-hmm their companion animals when they, when they learn that. And we're over here with all this angst, <laughs> probably yes. worrying so From much about trauma. Them. Exactly. Right. right. And that yes. they're okay. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Do you have a sense that they're, they, when, when you talk to the animal on the other side, uh, do you have the experience that they, they, they're grateful to be able to help ease the angst of their person? Absolutely. I mean, if, I've heard once, I've heard a few thousand times, animals say to their person, not only am I okay now, but I know you're not. Mm. I know I can see and feel your pain and I'm now here to comfort you. Mm. It doesn't happen 100% of the time, but a lot of times animals will tell their person when we're talking, our roles have reversed for a time now. Mm -hmm. To me, for instance, maybe through a long illness or whatever, I'm now here to comfort you. And that doesn't mean that's going to be forever because the person is going to do some healing and the animal might move on to some other things on the other side. But uh, very, 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 very often I hear about that, Carol. That's beautiful. Beautiful. It's not like it's over. It's not like the relationship. My experience with this is that where there's been very great love, the relationship's never over. Never. And there's always reunion, whether that's going to be in the spirit world when the person dies or the animal coming back or both, but it just, it's not over. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's, that's really, really reassuring. Um, I, can you tell me a little bit about, we've talked about, you know, the kinds of things that people will come to you for, for their, their, what people might call their companion animals or their pets. Um, what about wild animals? Do you, do you have experiences? you I know you've had experience with the whales, mm-hmm. but can we communicate with all of the animals and Absolutely. Um, like insects and every, can I communicate to the flies that are buzzing around? In my, Absolutely. In my house? Absolutely. And um, again, there's no difference. There's no difference. Um, and, and some of the experience of communicating with wild animals are incredibly life-changing. They can be very charismatic, um, very healing, um, which is, of course, what draws a lot of people to the whales and dolphins. Um, Not that they're the only animals who can give us that, but um, they're just so charismatic. Many of us are drawn to them. But even when we're speaking to those animals who are so charismatic, sometimes... Sometimes they just want to chat or sometimes they'll talk about silly things or funny things. Um, So it's really important that we remember whether it's a charismatic wild animal or our own animal, every conversation with an animal is not a peak experience. (laughs) And we have to remember that. 
because sometimes, and I understand, I mean, it, it, to me, after all these years still, it's still holy to me. It's still sacred to me. Every time I talk with an animal, whether it's one of my own cats or somebody else's cat or dog or horse or rabbit or whatever, or a whale in the ocean, um, it is sacred. But we have to remember, it's, it, it'll set us up to be disappointed if we think every communication is going to be this big, important, peak experience kind of thing. Sometimes it's just really funny. Like one time in, in the whale swim trips I did, um, there are a lot of ethical boundaries in place where, as the people, we do not swim toward the whales. You know, we'd stay arms hooked in a line. Um, and we only went in when a whale was fairly close and calm where, and I could hear them saying, come in, come in, what are you waiting for? But we're waiting for the captain to assess whether it's safe and whether this whale really wants to hang out with. So we get in the water and we hook arms and we never approach them. We wait for them to approach us. And, but then there comes this time where the whales disperse and then we swim back to the tender. And sometimes interesting things can happen on the way back because we'd have to get in that tender one person at a time. It would be like 12 people. And one time I was just treading water in my snorkel gear while other people were getting on the tender. And all of a sudden the mom and calf who we had been with came back and they were like pretty close to me. I'd say maybe 10 yards. And with a whale that's 50 feet long, that's close. Mm -hmm. And the baby was right under the mom. And I was like, oh, cool. This is like, an, oh my gosh. I, I thought we were just getting back in the boat, but they're back. And then as I'm just processing this happiness and talking to them and thanking them for our encounter, all of a sudden on my left side, up comes another wheel, like even closer to me. And I remember thinking, oh shit. Because <laughs> I was like right between them. But, you know, because even... Even though you're communicating sacredly, there are physical things you have to be careful of. Sure. And as soon as I was thinking that, meaning I had a little fear, even though they would never harm us on purpose, I heard that the, the escort whale, because there's almost always another adult whale with a mom and a baby. I heard her say, oh, I'm not going to hurt you. We just came <laughs> to tease you a little bit. And I said, oh, good, but it is a little scary. And then she just, she was a girl, just sort of like submerged. And then the mom and the baby went away. So, you know, it could have been this big spiritual, oh, we're here to tell you about your past life with us, which I have had experiences of. But no, it was just like, oh, we just came to play around with you and tease you. It's like, so you never know what you're going to hear. Wow. So, so you've, you've had experience where they've had a past life with you? Oh, definitely. That was wow. my first message from the first whale I saw, which wow. was started. They are my first family. Yeah. They are my first family. So does that mean um, they were a person or you were a whale uh, or something else? I was a whale. Okay. Very cool. M much more than I've been a person. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And I've been a cat. And, and so my family are the whales and the cats. Wonderful. Um, but anyway, going back to your question about wild animals and insects even, Something important to remember, if we talk with insects um, about boundary problems, because none of us like rodents in our house or um, ants on our kitchen counter or, you know, those kinds of in infringement things. Mm -hmm. um, 
And when we speak with them about that, it is really important to try to negotiate and explain to them why we don't want the ants in our food. Or in my case, about 10 years ago, there were lots of rodents where I lived. And it's an issue, population issue where I live in general in this town. And what I learned is they tend to go inside cars, like under the hood, to build nests because it's warm in the winter, even though I live in a mild climate. It's, it gets in the 50s in the winter. And um, I had a very, very expensive bill for my car because they tend to um, chew on wires. It's something about um, keeping something about their teeth. It's a very natural behavior for them. Mm-hmm. But it was like an $1,800 bill to get all these wires <laughs> fixed in my car. So um, everybody's saying, oh, well, get an exterminator in and do traps and blah, blah, blah. And of course, I didn't want to do that. So I talked and I talked and I talked and I talked with them. And they said, well, we were here first. We've lived here for a very, very, very long time, meaning the whole area. And I said, I know. Even though the house I lived in at the time was 60 years old, they've been around before that. And so I said, I would not do anything to you on the outside of the house. Um, I love seeing the little gophers. course, I plant all my plants in what are called gopher baskets, which prevents the gophers from eating the roots. Um, But I just love seeing their little faces. They look like little teddy bears. Mm -hmm. Um, But I made a deal with the rats that they weren't allowed in the garage, in my car, or um, in the house, which they never came in, thank God. but outside, I would do nothing. And I was being told, well, you have to do this and you have to do that. And it all were, there were only two and then one who just refused to leave the garage, but he never came back in my car. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it can be fresh. Like people call me about these kinds of problems a lot. And they usually just say, tell them they have to do this and tell them they have to do that. <laughs> and believe me, after that car bill, I understand that perspective. Sure. But it is important to know whether it's, you know, an insect or a wild animal, and I, I hate the word pest, but in our culture, you know, when I say pest, I think you will know what I mean about- An unwelcome animal. <laughs> exactly. That we don't want in our house or environment. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important that we remember animal communication does not mean we can dictate to them what they're going to do. Just like we can't dictate to our child or our spouse what we expect them to do. We might really want them to do it, be angry because they don't. But discussion has to take place. Negotiation is often part of it. So that's that's important to remember. Um, and, and I really encourage people to, when they're out and about in their backyards or in the forest, to when they see an insect or a small animal, to communicate with it and tell them how beautiful they are. Tell them how lovely they are. Um, Because you never know what, I remember I had a lot of banana slugs where I lived, um, I lived in Big Sur for a while. There were banana slugs everywhere. And the first week I was there, I was walking on the deck and I knew I stepped on something and I picked up my foot and there was a banana slug. 
like pretty squished. I was devastated. And I immediately said, I was sorry. I started offering his body Reiki. I got some rescue remedy, put it on his back. And all of a sudden I heard, I'm already dead. And you really need to watch where you're going. <laughs> so you can hear something that, and he said, no worries, I'm coming back, but watch where you're going. So there I am trying to be all sacred, offering all this stuff, trying to bring it back to life. And it's like, I'm already dead. Uh, but you know, another example I can think of that was one of the most amazing experiences of my communication with animals was, um, and if any of my clients or friends are here today, you've probably heard this story from me before, but, but my best friend, my best human friend, was dying of cancer 14 years ago now. I was very blessed to be with her her last 36 hours. And I was in this chair in her bedroom and she was sort of in a comatose sort of state. And um, it was in December, she died Christmas Eve day. But that night before, it was the middle of the night, I was sitting in this chair reading and all of a sudden, I heard the sound of crickets. Mm. And where I live, we don't have crickets in December. The crickets are here in like August area. And I thought, well, you know, we're in pretty altered states right now. You know, maybe I'm just imagining it or maybe some crickets are communicating, but they aren't here physically. And as soon as I had that thought, there was like a choir of crickets. It, it was, you couldn't pretend it wasn't there. And so I connected with them and I said, your song is so beautiful. And I'm sorry, I doubted you were really here. Mm. And my friend, by the way, not only loved all animals, she loved all of nature. She loved, she loved the trees, she loved the rocks, she loved the insects, the birds, everybody. And they said to me, we came to help sing her home. Oh. And then they just kept singing and singing and singing for about five minutes. And I mean, I knew she loved all the animals, but it never occurred to me to call out to the crickets. Wow. But, and they said all the animals are here. So you just never know. You never know what sacred encounters are, are going to happen. And I was just blessed that, and I'm sure my friend heard them and felt them on a different level than I did. But um, another little story about that, also when I lived in Big Sur, um, if any of you have ever lived in wilderness areas with wood stoves and the primitive nature, <laughs> keeping yourself warm without regular heat, um, yeah, we have to go outside a lot to get wood for our wood stove. And this was a time when one of the closest cats I've ever had in my life had just died, like a few days before that. And I, my other cat and I were in overwhelming grief. And I went outside to get some wood. And all of a sudden, this, these two little heads popped up. You know, and of course, it's common to find little critters, especially spiders in your wood pile. One was a mouse and one was a lizard, a little lizard. And I said, oh, ho, ho. And they said, we know you're grieving and you're really sad and we're so sorry. We're so sorry. I, I 
just so surprised. And I said, thank you so much. How do you know? And they said, everybody in the forest knows. Everybody knows. And so, you know, of course, I thanked them profusely. And what I learned from that is that for all of us, when we connect with all of life around us, whether or not we're already hearing what they say, they know it. They know when we love them, when we cherish them, and they're attuned to us. Um, and you know, I was just so touched to have the support of this little mouse and this little lizard. It was just amazing. Yeah, I think you're you're reminding us of reality that we are not always aware of, and but it is. That I mean, I'm I'm really inspired because it, you you've kind of taken something that's in the head into the heart and and inspiring I think all of us to go go out into the world and talk to all of creation and mm-hmm. and, and listen because that's what's happening whether we're aware of it or not mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we only have uh, you know seven or eight minutes before we go into the Q and A and I really I want to he- keep hearing your stories but I I also want to move into what we can do um, for those of us who are uh, vegans and animal advocates and activists, and not everyone on this call is, but for those of us who are, we're very, very sensitive to the plight of the animals that are farmed, that we're eating, that are in medical testing and uh, all the suffering and exploitation that's going on. And um, you know, I'm in a pretty good space now, but I've been in times in my life where I can't even sleep at night because I know yeah. the slaughterhouses yeah. are in yeah. in action at night and I'm just wide awake mm-hmm. and feeling all the pain and all this. And what can I do? What can we do um, to communicate with these billions of farm animals or those who are, you know, we've learned about medical, t- I mean, we all, we've always known about medical testing, but the world's knowing, learning more about it or product testing and they're in dire conditions and fear. What is there anything we can do to alleviate their suffering or to communicate, or, I mean, I don't even know. I'm just gonna turn it over to you. Well, I'm really glad you asked that because um, there's a lot we can do for animals who are suffering or that we know they're suffering or in trauma, even before we've developed our skills or remembered all our skills in telepathic communication. So I won't want anybody to think that there's nothing we can do unless or until we do that. Because communication is not just about conversations. It's about energy. Any of us know, you know, you look at a human loved one, your your newborn child, or your cat, or whoever, just gazing at them with love, that's communication. And when it's so deep, it's a form of telepathy. So there's a lot we can do. So um, there's, I jotted down some things about this in case we were gonna talk about it. I don't wanna forget any of this. So I did jot some of it down. Because all of these things can be very important. First of all, if we wanna help animals in that horrible kind of situation, slaughterhouse, or any suffering, dire suffering of animals, the first thing we need to do is garner the courage to be up close and personal with their suffering, not take it on. There's never, ever, ever, ever a purpose to taking on somebody else's suffering, never. But to be up close with it, 
Um, that takes a lot of courage. And that's why a lot of people do things like, and I have a lot of clients who call me and say, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty. I couldn't handle being in the euthanasia room when my animal was euthanized. Um, very common kind of, so it's understandable being up close with what we believe is the suffering of someone else is very hard to do. It's why people who are rescue workers and shelter workers who do that work every day in and out are my heroes because they have the courage and willingness to be with it up close all the time. So that's the first thing that I would say is if you want to help them bring forth courage and whatever your spiritual beliefs might be, whoever you reach out to for help spiritually, whether that's God, whether that's Jesus Christ, whether that's Buddha, whether it's your spirit guides, whether it's angels, it doesn't matter, but ask for help. Ask for help to bring forth courage to be able to do this. The second thing is, it's very important before we help them to acknowledge our likely sense of vulnerability and helplessness. Because for instance, the story with the banana slug, that was one animal. And at least I had some things I was trying to do right away, even though, you know, he let me know very bluntly he didn't need them, but it was one animal and I had stuff I could start doing. When you're talking about billions of animals in slaughterhouses or all the whales in captivity, or, you know, on and on and on and on and on, or, you know, animals in experimental settings and all those horrible situations. During, not like the banana slug where I could do something, but situations where we really are helpless to do anything physically. Now, we might be an activist working to change the system. The activists are my other set of, mm -hmm. he of heroes in my life. Um, but even if we're activists, we still have to do this emotional stuff to help ourselves. And if we want to help those animals now, um, not 30 years from now or shorter than that, or maybe slaughterhouses don't exist anymore, there are ways we can help them as individuals. So, But it is important to at least acknowledge our vulnerability and sense of helplessness that we can't go free them, all of them, right now. That's important to do, to, to acknowledge the emotional truth of that for ourselves. Um, and to also just accept the fact, this sounds obvious, but accept the fact that we can't help them all. People who become hoarders of cats, for instance, are people who haven't accepted, and they might also have some other mental issues involved, but a lot of people who tend to hoard are people who have not accepted the fact that they can't rescue them all. And that's a hard, cold fact, but we there's not one person who can rescue every animal that needs rescuing. And to accept that limitation helps us. So that's, that's another thing. But getting to practical stuff too, and it, once that courage is brought up, it's also important, and we can ask for spiritual help for this, that before we connect with those billions of animals in the slaughterhouses, before we even try to send them something helpful, this is really the heart of it. We have to be sure that our pain about their pain doesn't come with us when we connect with them. 
-hmm. Because our pain about their pain is not going to help them. Our pain is very real. And so what I always suggest is that we temporarily take our pain and put it aside. Um, uh, what I like to do, I, I'm very close to my spiritual guides. I ask them to take it for me temporarily, mm. temporarily. I only ask them to take fix it. I, yeah. I used to use the, the phrase, clear it before you do this. And I, I've modified that over the years because I realized that phrase kind of connotes it's over then. Just clear yourself of all your pain about this and it's over. Well, that's not possible to do in the moment, but we can temporarily put our pain aside so that when we go to that animal, we don't go with pain. We aren't burdening them with our pain. So that's a really, really important thing. And to have a plan and resources for help for our pain before and after we help the animal. It's called, uh, you know, a, a wonderful phrase for this is compassion fatigue. All of us who help animals are um, have experienced and may experience long-term compassion fatigue. And there are things we need to do to help ourselves from that. So it's not like that temporarily putting it aside means it's unimportant. It's extremely important, but it, it can't be in the way when we go to the animal. So that's, that's a, a, a big, big part of it. But here's the, here's what we can do once we've done all that. Um, and I forgot to say also protect ourselves mm -hmm. from their pain. And that's a whole other issue of energetic protection. If somebody has questions about that, I'll, I can talk about it later. But so we've put aside our pain. We protected ourselves energetically. So when we go in, we aren't going to soak in all their pain. So once we've done all of that, then I suggest getting nice and quiet, close our eyes, and just become very aware of our love for these animals. And if the pain comes up, and it will, just Make the intention again to put our pain aside and just stick with the love we have for them and allow ourselves to become calm. And this can be an hour long meditation or it can be a minute, doesn't matter. But just to make that intention that we're now focusing on our love for them and we're getting more calm. And the two energies that I've learned helped animals in that kind of duress the most are sending them love and the energy of calm. Mm. And that might sound bizarre, like, well, they're in so much trauma, they're about to be slaughtered. How can us sending them calm help them? Well, when you think about having ever been in a traumatic situation yourself, maybe you were in a car accident and you're sitting in the car on the phone with your loved one or with 911, and the person on the other end is very calming and soothing as they talk to you. Um, or you've had some other trauma and you're lucky enough not to have a friend say, well, do this and do this and do this. <laughs> but instead they listen to you and they come with an essence of great calming energy. There's something about, and, and I think the energy of calm is very underrated in our culture. Sure. It's very powerful. And that's why, of course, you know, there's more and more uh, talk about, there's even an app called Calm, which is very popular now. Um, we're all learning um, 
how powerful calming the body is or calming the mind is for our body. I have some serious heart problems. And um, believe me, I really relearned the power of breath and to calm not only my mind, but literally my heart. And it really works. I can see it on my Fitbit. My resting heart rate can go down in less than a minute when I do that. So the power of calm when we're in trauma is immeasurable. So all of that being said, what we can do is picture these animals and not focus on their suffering for these few minutes, but focus on our love for them and literally feel all the love we have for these animals, leave our heart, travel to them and reach every one of their hearts mm. along with the energy of calmness calmness and as simple as that sounds imagine again if you were in a car accident and you call somebody and you're in your car and instead of receiving that from them you're hearing oh my god oh my god are you okay are you okay do you want me to call daddy oh my god this is so horrible well, what are the tires looking were you wearing your seatbelt blah, 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 blah. that doesn't help when we're in trauma what helps is love and calming and of course, practical help when it's possible. It's not possible for most of us. I mean, some activists go to slaughterhouses and rescue animals and bravo to them, but it's not possible for most of us to just go and rescue them all. Mm -hmm. But whether it's one animal or thousands, we can always help them. Because when I connect, and I've done this with cows, when I then start talking with them, and I usually send the love and the calming first and then talk to them, it really helps. It really makes a difference. I also did this um, at the direction of a good friend of mine who's on the other side, who I still talk with a lot. When Katrina happened, um, I was very concerned about, oh my God, what can I do for these animals, blah, blah, blah. And it, there was a rescue group um, led by somebody I know. So I was communicating with individual animals for them as they were rescuing them to let them know what's going on. But I just felt like I was supposed to do more. And my friend came to me and she said, Teresa, I'm helping the animals who were left behind, who aren't going to be rescued. Mm -hmm. And if you like, come with me and I'll take you to somebody who can help them. So she took me, this was all telepathic, there was an attic and there was a cat in there who was left behind who was in the process of dying from dehydration. And all I did at, with the support of my friend really showing me how to do this was sending the love and the calm as she died. Uh -huh. And that way, and this is important for a soul to remember too, whether it's the cows in the slaughterhouse or any situation it means they don't die without love. Right. They don't yeah. Die I alone. think you've helped us so much with these very, very difficult and challenging situations that many of us bear. And I think I could talk to you for another hour. <laughs> we have to go to the Q&A. <laughs> I definitely well, know fine. I could talk we'll to you talk for to hours. The I know. All right. So the first question is from Deb and she says, Teresa, do you know of Dr. Ella Battelle and her animal hospice care? And if so, would you recommend her work? Um, actually I do. 
Um, and I haven't had contact with her in at least a handful of years. So no, I could not recommend it now because I'm not familiar with what she's doing. Okay. Right now. It's not current for you. Okay. Um, Catherine asks, have you experienced dogs or cats who have gone through more than one lifetime, even with a single family? Oh, definitely. Oh yeah. I mean, some animals come back two or three times in, in the span of a human's lifetime. Oh, definitely. Okay. All right. And so I will just say too, to Catherine and anybody else thinking about this, um, if your animal is about to pass or has passed and you would like them to come back, just because we would like them is not a guarantee they will, we would, but you can always ask. Oh, uh, wow. You can always let them know that that would really be your preference and you'd be delighted if they would come back. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so Bonnie asks, can you talk about animal reincarnation? We've discussed it before, but think it might be helpful to others. I think you did cover that some. Is there anything else you want to talk about animal reincar reincarnation? Um, well, uh, Bonnie, do you have any specific question, you know, beyond like, just does it happen? I can yeah. just start talking about it, but if you have any okay. specific issue, I'm happy to respond to that. Yeah. I'll wait and see if she adds anything. She did ask though, did the duck that you open with, in your story, when you were a child, did the duck ever communicate with you again? No, but that's, that's a, I could locate that duck. I probably could, but no, that's I think because cool. I froze up after that. But, yeah. Um, right. Um, so um, uh, I'll, I'll tell Bonnie, if you have any specific question about animal reincarnation, go ahead and put it in there. Um, so Valerie asks, I feel energy. I communicate with the other side. The one and only time I went to the human society, I started crying and could not stop. I had to leave. Mm. My question, have you experienced this tremendous sadness from the animals? What do you do when you're in that situation? Oh, and then she said, you just answered my question. <laughs> okay. I should have looked at the okay. next one. You did answer well, I, I want to just say to that part, Valerie, was it? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to just say um, that's very common and feeling overwhelmed and sad going into any humane society or SPCA or rescue, whatever, is very common, of course, because we're sad that people abandoned them and left them there. And there they are waiting for another human to adopt them. I would say that if that happens to any of you listening, do the same thing we talked about with the cows in the slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Acknowledge your pain is real before you go there, like I, I have clients say to me, we want to adopt an animal to shelter, but I'm terrified to go. I'm afraid I'll get too overwhelmed. And I walk them through that process. You know, acknowledge that pain, your sense of overwhelm or helplessness or sadness, whatever it is, you know, put that aside as you go in and also protect yourself so that you can give your love. And here's a real quick, quick little tip on what protection means. It's like a windshield in a car. When we're driving our cars, we have this glass windshield, shatterproof, I assume they all are now. And that windshield protects us from rain, from snow, from dirt and dust, from insects coming in, whatever, um, even from birds flying in. Um, it protects us, but we can still see very clearly out, can't we? And we can enjoy what we see out that windshield. That's what energetic protection is. So before we go into a humane society, we can make an intention. I am energetically protected in a way that even though I can feel the pain of the animals, 
it, it'll stop at my windshield. It's mm-hmm. not going to come into my heart and devastate me. I have the strength to go in there with love, with love and compassion for them. And if I see their pain, I can send love to that pain. I can send calmness to them, but there's no need to take in their pain. So I hope that helps. Thank you. I think that's very helpful. I think that's something we have to always remember because the other thing we would do is just ignore it or turn away or, you know, not look at it and avoid it and to protect our hearts. And that doesn't help anybody. Exactly. I want to just say, even though I described that like, oh, one, two, three, just do this. Um, I've spent a lot of time at our local shelter and there's never a time I've been there where I don't feel sadness. Mm. So I can do all these things, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to, I mean, there are times I leave sobbing um, even after some good encounters. So it, it, doing the things I talked about does not mean we're never going to feel sad. And that's why it takes courage. When we're Thank aware you. of animals being in harm's way, and we want to help, the first thing we need is courage. It's, it's just really needed to do it well so we can help them and so we don't burn out. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Um, okay, Carrie asks, what about communicating with our companion animals while they are living? If they have anxiety or pain, how can we communicate with them to understand what is wrong or what is troubling them? Oh, good question. Um, We have to ask, we have to ask what it's like for them. Like for instance, if if a client says to me, and anxiety is an issue because if they say, when I take my dog to the dog park, they off leash, they run around with dogs and they're happy and they're fine and not an ounce of anxiety or upset or whatever. But when they're on a leash, all of a sudden they cower and they're upset and they're anxious. And I want them to be happy. What's going on? So my job in communicating this to them would be to, first of all, I wouldn't start with the problem. I would always, with the client's permission, compliment the dog on being so open and fun-loving and whatever Mm -hmm. in the dog park. And then say something like, you know, your mom's telling me that she noticed that when you're on leash, though, that sometimes you seem to be kind of anxious around you know, the other dogs or people that you see, what's that like from your perspective? That is, for anybody listening, if you're you're already doing animal communication with your animals, when there's a behavioral concern or an emotional concern, one of the most powerful questions you can ask is, tell me what this is like for you. Mm. Tell me what this situation is like from your perspective perspective. It's so important to get that information before we start problem solving. So that I we think know it, what's that works with humans it. too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. So we have a question here from Kathleen. Does animal communication have to be telepathic? Can speaking out loud gently, lovingly to them work just as well, even though the answers would obviously have to be telepathic. Like, can we speak to them? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, What I recommend, whether our communication is out loud or telepathic, is to just, if you're talking about something really important, to just be really sure when you're communicating 
that what you say is aligned with how you feel. So it doesn't confuse them. Um, I, I had a friend many, many, many years ago um, who was so proud. She used to tell me, well, you know, I don't want the dogs and the cat to get upset when I leave the house and when I'm going to work or on vacation. So whenever I leave, I tell them, I'm just going shopping. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> of course, I, I don't hope not many people would outright lie like that. But she erroneously thought that would keep them calm. Well, I don't know what she thought they'd think an hour later when she didn't come home. But um, it, it here, here's another one for this person. This might help too. Regarding this, making sure what we say is aligned with how we're really feeling. Difficult situation when our animals are in a hospice, period. And we're having our sometimes huge anticipatory grief. I've had a lot, a lot of clients say to me, of course, you know, I'm freaked out. And I, I'm just so distressed about them leaving soon. But I make sure I always cry in a different room. Mm. Well, I don't care what room we're crying in, our animals know we're crying. They know we're devastated. So what can be even more helpful, and, and, and this goes back to this person's thing about, is it okay to talk out loud? Of course it is. Um, I often recommend, and I've done this with my own animals when I'm in that situation, is look right at them, sometimes hold them or touch them and say, look, I know you're seeing me cry sometimes, and I know you must feel my my grief and my sadness that you're going to be leaving soon. And that's true. I'm devastated that physically you're leaving. But I can take care of myself. It's not your job to take care of me. It's my job to take care of you right now because I'm still your person. And I'm here to take care of you. And I can do that even when I'm sad and crying, which is an honest, authentic way of saying to the animal, yeah, I'm having a meltdown thinking of you leaving, but I'm still here present with you and you aren't responsible to make it okay for me. And you're certainly not responsible to hang on because I don't want to lose you. Sometimes I recommend people also say, um, yes, when you do leave, I will be beyond devastated and overwhelmed with grief. But that doesn't mean I can't let you go. I want you to leave when you're ready to leave and I will find the support I need to take care of myself. That kind, so the animal's not, you know, confused, but being emotionally authentic is really important. Because remember, telepathy is about not just words, but feelings and energy. And they're gonna know what we're feeling, whether we admit it or not, or say it or not. Um, but anyway, I got a little off track there. But um, again, back to that person's question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions, so I'm going to have to do my best to get through these. Uh, Deborah asks, my golden retriever puppy died a few months later. I had gotten another puppy and he's so much like the other dog's behavior. Is this the other dog? Both are named Cooper. <laughs> she named them the same dog. Mm -hmm. name. She wanted to know if her, her second dog is the same dog as her first? Um, well, I, I can't answer that without actually communicating with the soul of both dogs. But that's something um, that you could help her with if she wanted. But it certainly does happen. And, and I would suggest to this person too, short of working with an animal communicator, to in a really quiet time, 
connect with Cooper and say, I have a feeling you're the first Cooper and I would love you to send me some signs to show me if that's correct and see if Cooper does that. Yeah. And one more thing I'll say about signs is this is my personal opinion. Um, it's an ethical thing for me about animals. Um, and that is when we ask for signs to be careful not to dictate what the sign must be. Mm. Like to say, and, and this is understandable when people go to adopt an animal who they believe is the reincarnation of an animal they've already had and loved. Um, and of course we all want to sign and it's very easy for us to communicate because we can just communicate and ask them. But for people who haven't remembered their telepathic abilities yet, understandably, they want some kind of sign. I always suggest that they ask the soul of their animal before they go see this new one, who they hope is them, to just give them some signs. And those signs can be physical, like they might see a double rainbow right before they walk into the rescue place. Um, or they might see a white feather, which is something they collect. Or, or, and this is important to remember, because signs aren't all physical. The sign might be an incredible warm feeling in the heart. The sign might be an absolute knowing in the gut. Like, we just know. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that can help. I, so I hope that helps that person. Yeah, great. Um, does it help? Barbara's asking, does it help if we try to communicate with an animal killed on the road and tell it we love them and are sad oh. about what happened? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to admit for years, I really screwed this up. I mean, I would see animals on the side of the road who were killed and I would get so sad and so upset. And then I'd get angry at whoever killed them, even though it was probably an accident. And then I get angry that we built all these cities and took away their habitat. And finally, I realized some years ago, this isn't like really helping the animal, is it? So I made a decision that what I would do is what this person suggested. Whenever I see a dead animal by this side of the road, I immediately, as I'm driving, put my hand on my heart and I say to the animal's soul, thank you so much for having graced the earth with your beauty while you were here. Thank you for having been here. And may your soul soar and be happy. And then after I do that, I send love and support to any animal friends or family who might be grieving the one who was killed, which is often very, very likely. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time I do that, I feel better myself. I don't feel quite as overwhelmed. Um, sometimes I'll feel sad for a little while, but just to acknowledge their beautiful presence on the earth can be very helpful. So. Mm. Okay, Susanna asks, you said animals are learning words out of kindness to us and want to communicate. Are there animals who are mad at us or annoyed and don't want us to want to deal with our primitive level of wisdom about oneness and not killing for food? Could you say that again? I want to make sure I get it all. Yeah. So she, she says that you, you said that animals can learn words out of kindness for us, but are there any that are mad at us or annoyed? Um, and maybe they don't want to deal with our primitive level of wisdom 
about oneness and about not killing for food. So are they mad at us because we killed them, because we've harmed them, because we've killed them for food? I have experienced that, yes. Yes. Although once I speak to someone on the other side, they'll talk about that anger and the injustice and the horror, not from a place that that they might have when they were still here. It's more subdued, but it's still real and they haven't forgotten it. And I'm not saying every animal who's killed feels that way, but yes, I have experienced that. Interesting. Uh, can our companions, our companion animals sense our feelings at all times? I think that depends. Well, first of all, I've never done a survey of every, every animal companion on earth <laughs> to say definitively. Um, but I, I think that most of them are very, very attuned to our feelings. Um, but the thing we have to remember too is animals are so unique and they're all individuals. And just like people are personality wise, um, I think there are some people who can live with other people and not be attuned to their feelings at all. Um, I think, and this is a stereotype on my part, so forgive me, but I think animals are tend to be better at that than the majority of humans. But I've also known some animals who are pretty, uh, if you know Myers-Briggs personality inventory, <laughs> they'd be thinkers, not feelers, and sensors, not intuits, not intuitive types. Um, so I think there's some animals who may not be tuned into what's going on with us all the time. Um, but I think they're very good at doing it in general. They so do have different helps. personalities. Yeah. I've, I'm a teacher of the Enneagram and I, I know the Enneagram type of all of my animals. Yeah. <laughs> there's a six, there's a four. There's a yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, uh, some do care a lot and some don't. Yeah, seem they're to they're all a little different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just like yeah. us. Uh, this is a really great question. I think that will help a lot of us from Deb. What's your advice for those who may be dealing with a protective closed off heart center, um, a, a protective closed off heart center stemming from these overwhelming and fearful times when that's dampening our telepathic abilities. So the, the, Sorry. so many of us have protective closed off hearts because it, they hurt so much. And so how, What's your advice for us to help overcome that to, to when the dampening our telepathic abilities? Okay, so I wanna make sure I understand this. So yeah. the question is, if our heart is starting to close off from the pain of how animals are treated in our culture, how do we deal with that? If we wanna learn tel telepathy? Yeah, we wanna learn telepathic abilities and, and it's, it's dampened by our closed off heart. And I think our closed off protective heart can be because of animal suffering, or it could be because of past mm -hmm. trauma. It could be because of mm -hmm. all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just part of the human condition to open that closed mm -hmm. off heart. Right. But she's asking you what your advice is. And I think you've gone over some of this, but you may want to talk mm -hmm. some more. I would say, and I think many, many people who love animals deeply have experienced that to some extent. And as much as we all who are here, I assume, love animals very deeply, there are times to step away from direct helping of animals or communicating with animals 
to take care of ourselves. So I would say it's really important for any of us in that situation to seek help for our own heart. And one place to start might be the compassion fatigue literature. There's a lot of really good stuff out there about compassion fatigue, um, which is about when our heart starts closing down because we love so much and, and we're giving so much. So that could help. And it's okay. In my opinion, it's not only okay, but good for us at times in our life to step back from whatever work we're doing to, to help, whether it's as an activist or a communicator or, or our professional role with animals. When we start feeling that closed heart, it's okay to take time to step back and get help for ourselves. We're just as important as the animals. Mm. It's important to remember that. Yeah. Take yeah. care of our own hearts, our own, yeah. our own Absolutely. child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kathleen asks, do you offer workshops online? I'm from Belgium and I can't find any guidance nearby. Okay. Um, I don't right now. Um, I do have an animal communication class. It's an in, just an introductory four-hour class online. Um, right now, I'm not doing anything more detailed than that. I may later this year, but there are lots of other people. Um, I would say for anybody with that question, if you go to Penelope Smith's website, Penelope is sort of the grandmother of this field. Um, her website is animaltalk.net. Um, she's a directory of communicators around the world, and they all list whether they teach. So you might be able to find somebody right in Belgium who does it in person, or certainly people online. Now, one of my favorite colleagues um, whose work I wholeheartedly support, who does online training just recently, is Carol Schultz. So you might want to look her up. She's in Chicago, but she just finished some online training. There are lots of other people who do it. I know, you know Carol, Carol Schultz. You do? Yes. Okay. She did, she did readings on my, my kittens, the kittens well, that I rescued off the go. interstate. Yes. Yeah. I know her. She's wonderful. She is. She's, She's very good. Yes. Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just look through the questions really quickly, see if I missed anybody. Somebody did ask, want to know if their cat who's sitting next to them right now or sitting in the room knows that we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have to ask the cat. Um, <laughs> But I, I, since I'm not going to do that here, um, I would suggest that she might just quietly ask her cat, um, do you know that we're talking about you guys? You know, we're talking about animals and, and ask the cat to give her a sign. Okay. All right. Great. Um, <laughs> okay. So we've got a few more and I want everybody to know that we're going to handle a few more questions and then. If you want, Teresa has offered to do a live exercise with somebody who's participating today, um, somebody who may be feeling a lot of anxiety or suffering yourself, not just a little bit, but kind of a heightened sense of suffering, and that she said she would demonstrate how she would would work with, um, with you. And that's kind of the same thing she would do with an animal. Is that correct? Teresa, did Mm -hmm. I get that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me go through So get, keep that in mind. I've got a couple more uh, questions to go through. Um, all right. Uh, I am another 
animal communicator. I know Teresa for many years. She's still one of my favorite communicators. I, I love the class she taught for those of us who do this kind of work. Um, okay. I think this is somebody who's just giving you a, uh, giving you a high five. She's a real <laughs> live human angel in my personal point of view. Um, okay. Thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. That was a nice shout out. Okay. Jane asked in the course of miracles, it says there are no accidents. My horse tore his stiffle. So same, same time my hips went out. Was he mimicking me internalizing my pain? Um, well, I couldn't give him. a definitive answer without <laughs> having to actually communicating with a horse, but I, I will just say this, um, and you'll hear different opinions about this issue from different communicators. Um, some communicators and just people in general in the healing field believe that um, animals always mirror our pain. I do not believe that. I, I think that belief is in my opinion, condescending to animals, because it's sort of like saying their only purpose here is to soak up our pain so they can mirror it to us. I don't believe that's the only reason animals are on earth. But at the same time, there are some animals who either, because there could be a spiritual purpose to it for both parties, or because they're unboundaried and they don't know how to protect themselves and they feel our pain and then they get something going on. So that it, it could be, it, it could be. I, I think sometimes that mirroring process can happen for the good. Um, if it happens all the time, I think that's detrimental to the animal um, to constantly be taking in somebody's pain or their issues. But it very well could be that in that case, it was some sort of healthy mirroring um, to show her what's going on. So makes me wonder if, if animals can be codependent like people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but one thing I, I want to just throw this in because it's related to the last question. And that is, um, there is a very, very, very big difference between telepathic animal communication and animal archetypes. Very, very, very big difference. Animal archetypes, as much as they're revered by some people, and I respect that that is the case, um, they really are just stereotypes about animal species. For instance, um, whales hold all the wisdom and history of the universe. Well, let me tell you, I've talked to thousands of whales, and not all of them hold the history of the universe or would care to. Um, or you'll read a book about archetypes and they'll say, if you see a rabbit, it's about fear. Well, I see lots of little bunnies and they aren't all there to tell me I'm afraid of something. Um, so I, and some of you might be really upset with this, but um, because I know it's such a revered field, archetypes of animals, but it is not communication. I, I personally believe those archetypes started with very goodwill from somebody who had some intuitive sense of one or a few animals and then turned it into this sort of dictionary of this species holds this energy, this species holds this energy, etc., etc. And that's as helpful as saying women are on the earth to be housewives and subservient to their husbands and have children. You know, uh, and I've talked to many whales and, and 
you know, the thing about the whales that so many people buy into, because they are charismatic, let's face it, they're these magnificent physical beings. Um, but I've talked to many whales who are the complete opposite of that. They are not here to do that. They're here to be a whale and learn what it's like to be a whale or for the 10th time they're here to be a whale. So I, I would just be very careful about assuming that archetype definitions are animal communication. Absolutely not. If you wanna know if all women came to the earth to be a housewife, start talking to some women. <laughs> and some maybe did. And that really fulfills them, and that's great. And some might spit and say, are you kidding? No. Same thing with the animals. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Something good to remember. Okay, just got a couple more here. Um, I'm going through very complicated grief dealing with the loss of animals and the rest of life due to divorce. Uh, this is Jennifer, and it sounds like she had to give up some of her animals, and she doesn't know if they're happy or sad or alive or dead. And it doesn't look like there's a question. So perhaps you just want to speak to uh, what happens or what, what we can do when we, if we had to give up an animal for some circumstance and we're concerned about them. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry for what you are going through in the past and the feelings you're needing to live with in the present. And regarding what you might be able to do with and for the animals you can no longer be with is the same thing that we talked about with the cows is send them your love send them your love tell them you're sorry you couldn't remain together and that you'll always love them and want the best for them and in it this is kind of obvious but in addition to that direct sort of communication with them and even if you can't hear them if you or any of us send a message like that with absolute sincerity, the animal will get it. They'll get it. Um, and the other thing I think we can all do in a situation where we no longer have any control about how our animal is, is turn to our spiritual resources and pray. Um, and pray may not be the word that you use for your spiritual practice, um, and that's okay, but to ask for spiritual help um, to look over our beloved animals we can no longer directly take care of. And that, that's always available to us. And so is sending that love. I love all of the guidance that you're giving us because it works for people too. <laughs> all these things work for people too. And exactly. if, if we just remember to send our love everywhere, what kind of world would we have? I mean, it would be about a beautiful yeah. world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I need to close in about five minutes or so. Do you want to do this exercise now? See if somebody wants sure, to. Yeah. Sure. And this, just, just so you see all know, this would be sort of a, a live demonstration of what we talked about in the sending the love and the calming energy. So if anybody is going through anything in life right now, it might even be the last person who posed that question or anybody. Um, and you would not need to reveal your situation. In fact, we would want you to reveal the content of your suffering, but just that you're experiencing it and might enjoy having some love sent to you. So if anybody 
is in, in a situation where we want to do a live demonstration to experience how, how to send love to our animal friends, um, please raise your hand and, and I'll, and we'll uh, do a, do that with you. Okay, Samantha, um, I'm going to ask you a question before I begin and then after. And the question is, when you think about what's going on for you now that is so troubling and painful, could you give us a number on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most horrible suffering imaginable for you, how would you rate that pain right now? I feel it's like a, an eight to nine. An eight to nine. Okay. Yeah. All right, Samantha. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for being brave to do this. And um, as we proceed, you don't have to do anything at all. This isn't going to take long. You can just be where you are and relax. I'm going to ask everybody else who's here, um, to just hold, you can even put your hands over your heart if this helps, but just feel love in your heart right now for all the animals of the world, all the people of the world, and for Samantha. And so Samantha, I'm now going to send you some energy. And again, you don't have to do a thing to make this work. You can just be who you are and how you are. Okay, Samantha, if you want to take a few seconds to just come out of that a little bit. And when you're ready, tell us what this was like for you, anything that you felt. There was like a ring of support, people like connected all around me. Um, I felt like there was like native Indians there as part of the group. Um, kind of giving love and support, sending love and support. It felt very moving. Wonderful, wonderful. Good, so you really, you felt it throughout that period of time. Yeah, definitely, okay. yeah, thank you. And um, Samantha, could you tell us on that same scale of one to 10, how you're feeling now with your pain? I'd say I feel more like a sort of four to five. Okay, wonderful. Well, this may, may this be sustained for you as you continue to go through whatever's going on in your life and know that in just an instant, anytime you want to or need to, you can bring back what you just felt. It doesn't need to go away. You can bring that back around you. Thank you. I really appreciate You're that. Welcome. I really do. Welcome. Bless you. You take, you take good, good care, okay? And much love to you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Thanks to you both and to everyone. It's beautiful. Thank you.
Thank you, Samantha. Okay. Okay. Well, if I can just say um, to, to, first of all, of course, a huge thank you to Samantha for being willing to put herself literally in the circle of us. Um, but also, you know, one of the things that is the point of this is that sometimes we don't even have to have a conversation with an animal to help them. And if we can have a conversation and do that, that can also be very powerful and in whatever order. But the power of sending love and calmness and peace is just immeasurable. So um, I really encourage everybody to try that with the animals who you are concerned about and worry about, whether it's your um, individual animal at home with you or large groups of animals in the world that are suffering that you're concerned about. So we all have the power to do that, even though we feel helplessness sometimes, um, there's always, always this that we can do to help them, always. That was beautiful, Teresa. And I would love to keep going. We're, we're going to have to close this time together but you've blessed us so much. And I know everyone is walking away just feeling so blessed by the generosity of your sharing. And last thing I want to do is thank everyone, um, everyone for joining us today. And a special thanks for Teresa for sharing herself so generously. Um, thanks to Northern Vegans for hosting this event. And remember to sign up if you want to receive email updates from Northern Vegans on northernvegans.com. I'm adding here, just in case you're interested in some of the work that I do, I mentioned that I my ministry right now is a spiritual podcast. It's called The Spiritual Forum. If you're interested in listening, I talk about all subjects spiritual, and uh, Teresa is such a fabulous spiritual conversation we just had, so I have different kinds of conversations like that, and I also have conversations with people on animals, but not, not exclusively, so that's at thespiritualforum.org. Want to mention any vegan spiritual people out there that I am a co-organizer of an annual retreat at Unity Village, and that's also on the spiritualform.org website. Fabulous event. I'd love to see you all there. And I also blog at Wolf and the Lamb, and this is a blog centered on the awakening of the world to compassion for all, and that's at a wolfandthelamb.com. So I just want to give Teresa, before we say goodbye, if you have any final statements you want to make or any, any, anything that I might've missed or the questions weren't answered or, or the question wasn't asked anything that you might want to, any of your last words, turn it over to you for a minute or two. Well, we could talk for hours. I know we animals, did. <laughs> but, um, I guess I would just want to say thank you to everybody for loving the animals of the world enough to want to learn more enough to want to communicate with them. And of course, communication isn't the only thing we need to do for the animals, but it, it is a huge step toward connecting with them. So thank you. Thank you for loving the animals the way they're meant to be loved on earth. And thank you all who treat them the way they're deserving to be treated when they're on earth. So mm -hmm. thank you. And I wish you all and your animals much love. 
Yeah, you've really inspired. I know you've inspired me and I know you've inspired everybody here. And I'm seeing the comments keep coming up and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. So thank you for the gift of the world you are and everybody who's participating. And again, a big shout out to Northern Vegans for putting on this fabulous event. Yes, what a great thank organization. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Gary. And we just so appreciate everybody. So namaste to okay, all. Yes, yes, yes to, to all beings. Yes, love everybody. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about us, check out thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. We're a nonprofit corporation and depend solely on donations from people like you. If you find that you're benefiting from your listening, we encourage you to donate on our website, thespiritualforum.org. Our music is by Matt Nelson. Sound engineering is by Mark Jaschelski.